the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a fabulous, fabulous Saturday and a fabulous week, and we pray that... uh, All of your days uh, will be filled with joy and peace. We thank you for joining us on another episode of Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and we are so thankful for your partnership with us, by the way. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Thank you for making us uh, basically known to your friends and relatives and others. And we ask you to join us in prayer all the time. Uh, By the way, I mentioned last time that Facebook has blocked me. They lifted the block, then they blocked me once again. So I can see this is a trend that's going to happen with my ministry. And the reason why they did this, they felt like the Muslims are offended by the message that I am sharing. Obviously, we did not mean to offend anyone. We are sharing the message of truth. But I just wanted to bring it to your knowledge so you can join us in prayer. These are the kind of battles that we have to uh, uh, fight usually. And unfortunately, it's part of who we are in Christ. Um We started uh, a brand new series uh, recently uh, that is, I call it a companion to the video series that I did with Dr. Jay Smith. And me and Jay did about 22 different videos. First uh, collection, I can't remember the number, I think it was maybe eight or nine, had to do with the historical criticism of Islam itself, and we called it the unknown history of Islam. So I did a companion uh, on my show right here uh, that goes along with that. Uh, Therefore, if you can watch the videos as we are releasing them, I think we are up to number five already. And you can find those, of course, on our YouTube channel, which is uh, Sierra International. That's the name of the channel. uh, channel. Uh, You can watch the videos, but at the same time, uh, I encourage you to listen also to uh, the uh, radio shows that I did on that because the radio show... Uh, will uh, allow you to dig even deeper and hear more insight. Obviously, when you do videos, sometimes uh, you have a time restraint and you're not able to cover everything, technically speaking. And uh, it was two of us versus me talking by myself here on the radio to give you even deeper insights uh, on those particular topics that we discussed. The second series that we did uh, along the line of those 22 videos has to do with the textual criticism of the Quran. And uh, that's the series that I'm doing right now, actually, in my own radio as well, to be a companion with that. And why is textual criticism of Quran uh, is such a big deal? I mean, uh, we know there is textual criticism science for the Bible, that the Bible has been criticized, that the manuscripts of the Bible have been analyzed and criticized, and uh, all sort of things were thrown at it. But at the end of the day, the Bible survives, The Bible is still standing firm. 
the Bible remains the word of God. Even the most liberal scholars or even scholars that don't believe in God are fair enough and honest enough sometimes to acknowledge certain things that are powerful about the Bible. Uh, so that's why uh, we as believers have no issues whatsoever uh, to be concerned about when it comes to our Bible uh, considering the amount of massive manuscript evidence, archaeological evidence, historical support, and so on and so forth. But when it comes to Islam, somehow our Muslim friends believe that the Quran is a perfect book. It is a book that is free from any contradictions, any errors, any issues, any problems. And it's been like this since the first day it was revealed in the year, basically 610 A.D., when the Prophet of Islam received his first revelation in a cave, and that was chapter 96 of the Quran, verses 1 to 3. And after his death, the book basically was finally collected into a codex, and from there, many copies were made. And today, the current Quran, which is known as the 1924 canon or the 1924 Cairo edition, is still the exact same Quran that was revealed to the Prophet of Islam. That's the line of thinking that Muslims will bring in. But that's not the case. As we have presented in the last episode, there is plenty of problems when it comes to the Quran and many contradictions. For instance, if you look at one of the many early manuscripts of the Quran, this one is the Paris one, is known as the BNF, uh, also the Petropolitanus. If we look at chapter 14, verse 37 in that manuscript, which is one of the early manuscripts that dates around the 8th century, what is the significance of the 8th century? That means it's been 100 years plus after the death of the Prophet of Islam. If it was really maintaining what the Prophet says, then you wouldn't see any contradictions between that manuscript, the Petropolitanus, and today's Quran. But if you look at chapter 14, verse 37, for instance, it reads as follows. Our Lord... I have settled some of my descendants in an uncultivated valley near your sacred house. This is Abraham speaking about Mecca, technically speaking, even though the word Mecca is not there, and about the holy mosque, even though the word holy mosque is not there, and about building the Kaaba, even though the word Kaaba in this passage is not there. But he's saying, our Lord, that they may establish prayer, meaning my descendants who are Muslims may establish the daily prayers and there is a conjunction, and make hearts among the people inclined towards them, meaning they draw more people towards them and therefore towards God. So there is a conjunction and in the early manuscript, yet you look at the Cairo edition, known as the Kyrene text, 1924 edition, canon, the canonized Quran that we have today, the same verse in chapter 14, verse 37 said the following, Our Lord I have settled some of my descendants in an uncultivated in an uncultivated valley near a sacred house, our Lord, that they may establish prayer, so make hearts among the people inclined toward them. So who is now going to incline the hearts of people? Here in the Kyrene edition, it's God who is going to incline the hearts of people. In the early version, it was the people who are going to cause the hearts to be inclined. So Big difference theologically. Who is inclined in whose heart? Is it the people or is it God himself? So uh, that's the kind of things that I wanted to bring up to your attention. Now, what is the significance of the differences? Okay, 
Muslims will respond. It's not basically there's no big difference. They're going to say it is if the Quran is perfect and unchanged, then the difference is subtle, but it's still different. Okay, so don't tell me uh, there is no big difference because you just told me it's perfect and unchanged. Unchanged meaning that you're not going to find a single thing that has been changed. In fact, a Muslim's argument is always unchanged meaning that not a single letter, not a single markation, not a single dot, nothing has been changed. But yet I just showed you a simple proof that there was a change. One word was and, the other word was so. And the whole theology changed just by using these two simple words. Okay, The difference is subtle, maybe, but it's still a different. Because the repentance of the people is no longer a result of Abraham settling people near the sacred month. It is a result of God himself doing the action. So that is absolutely important for us to magnify and focus on. So we are going to get now to more early manuscript. Now I want to talk about a one of the earliest manuscripts ever to be discovered in 1972 known as the Sana'a manuscript and Sana'a is the capital of Yemen and there is a mosque in there known as the Great Mosque of Sana'a and that mosque dates all the way back to early Islam around 8th century give or take uh, uh, or 7th century as I say and they've been, uh, they were going through uh, remodel and restoration process and they tumbled, meaning the uh, people who are doing the restoration, uh, they stumbled upon a number of perishments, uh, thousands to be exact. And part of those were something that is called the palimpsest. What, what do we mean by palimpsest? The palimpsest mean the following. You take a perishment, a piece of leather of a goat or a skin of, uh, of uh, a sheep or an animal, and you write something on it. And then because it's expensive, and because really it will probably, for instance, uh, we have uh, about 200 uh, uh, of, the, uh, I should say, we have uh, about uh, 20 plus uh, of these perishment that would have taken about 200 animal skin uh, to create those to write on him. So it's expensive, you know. So they sometimes the scribes will take that, wipe it off and write on top of it. So. Part of this, these thousands of perishments, a discovery was made of what is called today as the Sana Palimpsest. It, they discovered when they put it under ultraviolet lighting studies and analyses that there was a layer underneath the visible one. The visible one has the darker ink, but there is another layer that faded away. They did a study on that faded away layer known as the lower layer, by the way. So there's a lower text and an upper text. I want to use some technical terms with you here. In fact, I'm doing my study on this right now in my PhD. So the lower layer uh, had Quranic verses. And the upper layer also has Quranic verses. The span between the two, time-wise, is about 50 years, give or take. And the dating still for the lower layer is around 705 A.D. 705 A.D. What does that mean? It's almost 70 years after the death of the Prophet of Islam. In fact, it's a little over than 70 years. So when you study the lower layer and the upper layer, you find variations between the two. It's almost similar text, 
but there is variation. And also we know that it was done in a fairly short time because the same style of writing for the upper layer is almost similar to the lower layer. Okay, so that indicates that the style of writing hasn't changed much. But also there is another problem. The lower layer contradicts in many places, at least 70 different places, the today's Quran, the 1924 Kyrene text. And the upper layer also contradicts and has uh, variations when it's compared to the today's 1924 Kyrene edition. So within 70 plus years from the death of the prophet, we're already seeing some problems already that the Quran is not being consistent, is not being unchanged, if you wish. Here are some uh, scholars uh, that basically studied this, and this is what they said. Karl Heinz Oleg said the following. Is that the Quran began to be compiled in the last two decades of the 7th century, with other versions continuing until the 9th century. Okay? Uh, Dr. Kurt Poing, uh, he is the uh, uh, premier, uh, I should say, or, or the, uh, the uh, uh, renowned scholar who studied those palimpsests uh, the first time, him and his wife, because they were involved with that team that was doing the restoration. He says, oldest perishments and papers of any Quran, meaning talking about the Sana. He's saying those are one of the oldest manuscripts, Quranic manuscripts, yet more than half of the text is ambiguous. In fact, you cannot really read them, technically speaking. I've looked at images of them. Uh, is ambiguous letters, which need diacritical marks for understanding, ambiguous meaning that you cannot really read them without putting markations to know how to vocally pronounce them. Adding vowels help correct mistakes. Okay, so once you start adding vowel markings, you begin to correct diac- uh, 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 you know, diacritical readings, basically, or uh, dialects. Uh, changes in the orthography, the conventional spelling system of the language are found in geographical tradition schools. When you move from one school to the other, you move from southern Iraq to Syria or from Syria to Hejaz, the western region of modern-day Saudi, you'll find that there are different ways of reading certain words known as the variant text readings of the Quran. So if we take a look at the uh, carbon dating uh, of these two layers and many other problems, we discover the following. Um, this was the manuscript which is considered to be the oldest manuscript in existence today. If we look at at least two pages from this Sana manuscript, um, we immediately discover under the ultraviolet light photograph of these perishments that the lower lighter text underneath is dated, according to carbon dating, between 671 AD to 705 AD. The upper text is older than 705 AD. Like I said, uh, recently a scholar by the name Asma Hilali wrote a book on this, and she thinks that the difference is about 50 years according to her own research between the two layers, I should say. Um, if we go to something called Dar al-Mahtutat or the House of Manuscripts in Sana'a Yemen, uh, this particular manuscript known as the DAM uh, 01-27.1, that's the code number for this particular manuscript that we call the Palimpsest. It uh, comprises of 38 leaves. Uh, the lower text has been dated to uh, the 7th century. 
the upper la layer has been dated to the 8th century. So there is a span between the two. Now, why was the lower text erased? Now, now that's a question we need to ask ourselves. What was the purpose? Usually, you erase the lower layer for a number of reasons. One of it is to reuse the perishment, okay? So possibility the text has faded, was illegible, and they needed basically to wash off whatever is left and rewrite it again, okay? Possibly it was inaccurate and needed correction. Possibly was obsolete, meaning the text below was no longer in use, and now there is a new reading in town, and it was updated, the possibility that the text was a nascent form of the letter, uh, later upper text. Uh, so these are important questions to ask. Here's my argument also. Why would you erase something and rewrite almost the same thing once again with almost the same writing style unless you're trying to make corrections to something that you discovered? Okay? That in and of itself is an indication that there is a problem here that was discovered by the scribe. Here is what uh, uh, Asma Hilal in her book thinks. She thinks basically because of a phrase that was found in chapter 9, uh, given instructions not to read the Besmalah, meaning in the name of Allah, the most merciful, the most compassionate. What is the Besmalah? Every chapter in the Quran, every surah, that's what uh, the Arabic word for it, every chapter or surah in the Quran, except chapter 9, starts with this phrase known as the Besmalah. In chapter 9, a scribe put an instruction and in saying, do not read Besmala. In her view, this indicate that this lower layer was just used for educational purposes. If that's the case, why would you educate people on a Quran that doesn't match the current Quran? Doesn't that mean that you are teaching people the wrong reading of the Quran? You see, that, there's a problem when you think this way sometimes. Because now you're indicating that people were being taught the wrong Quran to begin with. And then later, another scribe discovered this and corrected it. So right there, we know that the lower layer, who was close to the action, close to the prophet, within 70 years of his death, was actually not teaching the correct Quran. But later, people discovered this. That doesn't make sense. I mean, so this is why we need to uh, emphasize the importance of these kind of arguments. Now, um, here is what... Other comments from Asma Hilali. Her book is called The Sana Palimpsest, The Sana Palimpsest, The Transmission of the Quran in the First Century AH. What is AH? It's the Islamic calendar. It's almost like AD, our Christian calendar. And her name is Asma Hilali. It's a brand new book that had just been released uh, less than a year, maybe even within a year. And here's what we find, for instance, in chapter uh, in, in page 15, this is what she said. Dr. Hurt Poen, Dr. Elizabeth Poen, and uh, um, uh, Sadiqi and Gudarzi. She, these are the scholars she's referring to. By the way, Sadiqi and Gudarzi, these are Muslim scholars, actually, that did a study on it. She said all of these scholars consider the polemcist to be part of a complete Quran codex that is vestige of a non-canonical reading. What does that mean? Meaning that it was a complete Quran, it was a Quran, but it wasn't a canonical Quran. It disagreed with what we call today the 1924 canon, okay? Sadiqi and Gudarzi and even Elizabeth Poen believe the lower text constitutes in itself documentary evidence of a non-canonical Quran. That's in page 16 of her book. I have that book, technically speaking, because I need it for my PhD study. 
Sadiqi and Gudarzi believe that the lower text is related to the Quran Codex of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, okay, who basically would have died around 652, um, you know, give or take around the time when Uthman basically was collecting his own Quran. He refused actually to turn in his Codex, and uh, that's why they believe it is a uh, based on this particular manuscript. They believe that the variants fit within the reports by early sources about the companion codex. If you compare to what the commentaries are saying, Ibn Masoud used to read it this way, Ibn Masoud used to read it that way. Once you look at these kind of variation, you'll notice immediately that uh, the Sana manuscript kind of like coincide a lot with the reading of Ibn Masoud. Therefore, they're saying it is based on the family. Let's use this, the family of Ibn Masoud manuscript. Dr. Poen, Elizabeth Poen, who is the wife of Dr. Kurt Poen, uh, they're both German, by the way, disagrees with their comments. And she said uh, uh, she believes it is not Uthmanic, if you wish, and not from Ibn Masoud Codex, but suggests that the lower text was in the process of being corrected and made more precisely canonical. She considers the two layers as stages in a process of canonization. So you write one, then things have improved in reading, or there's a, a council, if you wish, let's use that term. Uh, in this case, uh, Uthman made, issued orders and a, an etiquette, and now they came back and made modifications and correction in the, in the second layer. You know, So that's basically the thinking of Elizabeth Poen. She explains that the variance categories of corrections as attempts to standardize the lower text. And I like the word attempt because still there was a fluidity for the at least 300 years between the death of the prophet in 632 until almost uh, the 10th century when you begin to finally see that the Quran is getting to a point where a specific standardized variant readings are approved and moving from there, uh, we get what we know today as <clears throat> we get what we know today as the... Uh, uh, the uh, the 1924 Kyrene canon. I'm hoping really all of these explanations that I'm sharing with you uh, will be valuable to you in terms of at least showing you that the Quran as we know it today was in no way possible to be a perfect and complete Quran. It went through a profit of modifications, redaction, a profit of correction, and the canonization was done in phases. And I would agree with Dr. Elizabeth Poen and her assessment of this. Now, next episode, I will jump into some of Asma Hilali's own opinion about uh, why we have two different layers and what is her own assessment. And I will be frank, if I see something in her assessment that doesn't really make sense, I'm going to point it out in a political way, uh, in a, in a uh, respectful way, of course. We're not here attacking anyone. Uh, she's a scholar who is uh, doing her best to analyze what we have today. Uh, I could be wrong myself. Uh, I mean, who knows? Someone else can come down the road and prove me wrong and prove all of us wrong. So it's an attempt basically to put some explanations and clarifications to something interesting that is considered really valuable evidence about the earliest Quranic manuscripts that we have to date. As always, you can go to my website, www.sirainternational, 
and Sira starts with a C as in Charlie, and you can uh, click on Let Us Reason and listen to this show and also all the previous ones who have been archived in there, which have been archived. And also you can go to SoundCloud, you can go to iTunes, you can go to YouTube. Our channel is Sira International and be able to listen to this. You can also watch all of our videos that have been released to date, including the series that I mentioned between me and Dr. Jay Smith. And by the way, I want to let you know that a uh, new series that will be released soon uh, that I did also with Sam Shimon and Dr. David Wood together. Uh, we hope that you will find all of these resources to be helpful to you. And we encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, CIRA International, and become even a Patreon patron by giving even financially, if you could, uh, as little as $1. Uh, whatever you give will be used to the glory of God to build more videos and allow us to stay on air. Until we meet again, have a blessed weekend. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.